Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. So today I'm going to talk about living or confident living. I wasn't sure which one it was going to be, living confidently or confident living. So, all right. So what does it look like for a believer to walk in confidence? So I want to give a simple definition so that we're kind of on the same page. And confidence is the quality or state of being certain, say certain, assured, and or convinced in a person or thing. So I would say that the majority of you came into this building today and you had the confidence that you were certain, that you were pretty confident that when you sat down in your chair, that it will work according to the way it was purposed to function, right? What's that? Yep. (laughs) So I didn't see anybody coming in here, going like this, checking the chairs. Hey, Loretta, can you come and sit on that before I sit on that? No, that was just a, right? No one was coming in checking chairs, right? You didn't even give it a thought, did you? That's some real confidence, right? Right? That's some real confidence. And so the opposite can be true, right? But let me just say, how many of you guys have a chair that you just flop into? You just, you take all your weight and you just lean into it. And your chair goes, oh, it has its own sound, right? It speaks to you. It says, I can only do this for so much longer now. But we all have those chairs like that, right? That you are so confident that you just throw yourself at the chair, your full weight. And so, like I said, when people came in today, they didn't even give it a thought whether the chair would, would hold you, right? You, you figured it would work as it was supposed to. You were confident of it. You were assured of it. But the opposite can be true. You know, there was a season in my life where if I touched a metal object, I got shocked. Have you guys ever been there? And I'm, talk, I'm not just talking about like, ooh, that shocked me. I'm talking about electricity going up my arm kind of thing, right? And so I don't know if it was the long hair thing or what, uh, if there was more static electricity. But every time I would touch metal, I would get shocked. And so what I would have to do is like before I got into the car, I would tap it. Pop, 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 pop. Tap the window. Pop, pop, tap, tap, tap. Or like um, if I came into church, the church doors were a big one for me. I would be like, I would ground myself some way before I touched. The... <laughs> right? I, was, I wasn't sure. If I touched it, I would get shocked, right? So my experience, my experience dictated my confidence level, right? And how many of you guys know 
let's say you go through a season where when you sit on the chair, it breaks. Guess what you would be doing when you came in here? You know, testing it out, right? So your experience will dictate your confidence level. So when you look at the life of David, his confidence was birthed out of his relational experience with the Lord. In 1 Samuel 17, 36 through 37, your servant killed both the lion and the bear. Say, that's some experience. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So just like the example of the chair, David didn't give failure or defeat a thought. It wasn't even a part of his process. Think about that. He's like, I killed a lion. I killed a bear. And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would defy the armies of the living God? He didn't even give defeat a thought. Just like when you came in here and didn't even give a thought to sitting down on the seat, this is the type of faith that David had. Come on, think about it. Can you imagine walking in this type of confidence, this type of faith, that you don't even give defeat a thought? Notice David's self-confidence was rooted in his dependence upon God. What did it say? Your servant has killed. And then it goes on to say, but the Lord has rescued me. Do you see that there? Listen, I've killed the lion, I've killed the bear, but each one of the time, the Lord has rescued me. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like uh, Paul's declaration of faith. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In the Amplified, it says, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. So in the context of that, he was saying, for I have learned for whatever state I am to be content. Content means freedom from worry, anxiety, restlessness, peaceful satisfaction. So Paul's ability to face all things was stemmed from his faith in Christ's ability and Christ's sufficiency. So as believers, our confidence in life is fundamentally an issue of faith. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this later, but it's kind of strange for a believer to lack confidence. Because our confidence is an issue of faith. That's why, scriptures decla- that's why scripture declares that the just shall live by faith. If the just shall live by faith, who are the just? Well, the just are the justified. And those are people who believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 16, Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. So Paul wasn't ashamed. He was certain. He was assured and he was convinced of the gospel. So if we are people of faith, if we are people of faith, 
then we're called to walk in confidence. See, a lot of times we think, well, confidence looks like pride. Or confidence looks like uh, arrogance. Um, but let me tell you a little bit, a little story. You know, we were just talking about David, right? So, so David's father sent David out to bring some bread and cheese to his brothers and his commanders, right? And so he goes and he's like, what's going on? And basically he finds out about this guy, Goliath. And he's like, well, what will be done? What will be done for the person who kills this Philistine. And guess what? Older brother was around. And, and the scripture says that he burned with anger. David's walking up there, full of confidence, and said, what do I get for killing this Philistine? Which his brother was there for 30, 40 days, and his brother burned with anger. And so basically his brother, his big brother comes up, right? His big brother comes up, and he basically rips into David, like, what are you doing? And then I love David's reaction. His reaction is, what have I done now? <laughs> Sounds like this has happened before. <laughs> but I love his next response. What have I done now? Then he turns his back on his brother and continues the same conversation. Big brother didn't mess with David. <laughs> he turned his back on him and continued the same conversation that he was having. That sure looked like arrogance. And so confidence doesn't always have the same expression. You can have a quiet confidence. I mean, look at Esther, right? When she found out about it, she's like, I can't go. If I'm going to go, you got to fast and pray. <laughs> but she went. So confidence can look differently but from person to person, but it can also be perceived differently. Don't worry about being, being perceived differently because even Paul said, uh, if I was here to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Now, balance, we shouldn't not be ones, we shouldn't be people pleasers, but we shouldn't be like, I'm not going to please anybody. <laughs> you know, so that's a different attitude. That's another sermon. All right. So when you live by faith, everything you do from that flows from that place of faith. We know that our faith is expressed through action or by deed. James, James 2.17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So in other words, you can't say that you're walking by the Spirit if your faith has no tangible expression. Because dead... What does that mean? It means the spirit has left the body. So we know that by faith, the elders obtained a good report. The elders became the physical expression, the, the, the physical manifestation of their faith. So they, by faith, they saw something that was unseen, and then they made it tangible by their faith, by their actions. So think of confidence in this way. Confidence is the way faith is expressed through our mind. Okay? Think of it this way. Confidence is the way faith is expressed through our mind. How many of you have ever stepped out in faith and you just weren't sure? You lack confidence. But I believe as confidence, as faith matures, 
so our confidence shall increase. I mean, look at David. You know, what do I get for doing this? (laughs) And his brother burned with anger. (laughs) Confidence is a state of being certain, assured, or convinced in a person or thing. Faith is expressed through action as well as a way of thinking about your circumstance. So faith is expressed through action, but confidence is the way that we look at our circumstances. Do you see how you need both? How many of you have done things by faith, but your mind was still? But let's go back to David. I killed the lion. I killed the bear. Why? Because the Lord rescued me. Are you guys seeing this? So how does confidence get built? By actually stepping out in faith and seeing God move. Romans 1.17, the gospel unveils a continual revelation of God's righteousness, a perfect righteousness given to us when we believe. It moves us from receiving life through faith to the power of living by faith. So first is, it's the faith to receive the life that Jesus offered, and then it's the faith to walk that life out. How many of you have received life when you believed in the gospel? All right, that's the faith it took to receive life. And then we're called to go from faith to faith. What is faith to faith? It's actually the faith to live that life out that you've received. So when we first believe the gospel, we receive that new life that God has promised us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What is this talking about? When you believe, you receive a new life by faith, correct? And then in verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So do you see what is first? It's receiving the life by faith, and then it's being that minister of reconciliation, which actually reconciles others back to God. So our confidence must be root, our confidence must be rooted in the work of Jesus, of Jesus in us first, and then through us. I'm going to say that again. As a believer, our confidence must be rooted in the work of Jesus in us first, and then through us. So the foundation of our confidence is the work of Jesus in us, the new life that we're certain, that we're confident, that we're assured of this. And from that foundation, our confidence can extend to affect the world around us. Are you guys following this? So first, we must be confident, assured. We must be certain that we have the new life. And how do we do that? It's by faith. And from that place, then our faith is extended to affect the world around us. So how do we go from faith to faith? How is that confidence developed? Well, what does it say? The gospel unveils a continual revelation of who God is. So as God is revealed, our faith will grow. It is unveiled in such a way that it awakens our faith. So as God is revealed, what does that mean? 
the truth of Christ and of the gospel. How many of you guys are still learning things about God 20, 30 years later? You know, this isn't what the sermon's about, but I was talking to someone the other week, and I was just saying about, you know, how we, we do all these personality tests to find out who we are, right? We're spending all this time in who we are, and we're still learning about ourselves. Can Think about God, right? Think of who he is and how vast he is. I'm not saying that there's wrong with doing those personality things. I'm just saying that we're still trying to figure out us. And so the question is, when was the last time we've learned something new about God? So as God has revealed the truth of Christ and of the gospel, the character and nature of God, his word coming alive through the Holy Spirit, realities of his kingdom, Heaven's perspective, our faith matures, develops, and grows as God is revealed, which gives us the confidence to walk out this life. What is this life? It's a new creation life. And you know what? We think of, a lot of times we think of that life as just a spiritual thing, but that life is actually all-encompassing. It's in your eating. It's in your sleeping. It's in your working. It's in your playing. It's in your rest. It's in your planning. It's all-encompassing. When it says the just shall live by faith, it's not just a spiritual living, but it's also a physical and a natural living that God has provided for us. So revelation is the catalyst that goes from faith to faith. So it's faith, revelation, faith, revelation. So that two is revelation. So it's confidence, revelation, Oh, that's who God is. Oh, well, that stirs my confidence. Then more revelation. Then more revelation. Are you guys seeing where I'm going? So our confidence to walk out this life by faith is fundamentally connected to the revelation of who God is and how his nature is ultimately revealed through us. So confidence is a manifestation of faith. Confidence is a manifestation of faith. So how is confidence expressed? It's the way that you look at things. Look at David. He was just out tending the sheep. He said, you know, go take some bread and some cheese out to the armies. And then he gets there and he's like, oh, now's my time. Oh, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? What will be done for him? Now, we know that his faith was in the Lord because didn't he say, yeah, I killed the lion and the bear, but it was the Lord who rescued me. And so if I killed the lion and the bear, what, what will God do for the, with this uncircumcised Philistine? Are you guys following me? It's like confidence is the way faith is expressed in our mind, in our soul. So Philippians 1.6, here it is again. I am convinced and confident do you see, like when you, when you look at a lot of, of things that Paul said in Scripture, it, it deals with how he sees things or his confidence or his conviction. I am convinced and confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will continue to perfect and complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, the time of his return. Let me tell you what, this Scripture verse has gotten me through a lot. <laughs> 
I don't know about you, but whenever I felt like I failed or felt like I was messing up or felt like I didn't measure up, I always pulled this verse up because it says, listen, he's going to finish what he started in me. He will finish. And what? And listen to Paul's, how he describes it. I am convinced, I am confident of this fact that he will finish what he started. So when we mess up or when we feel discouraged, listen, I am confident. See, it's not just faith just to step out of the boat. It's also faith that guards our mind. It's that faith and that confidence that protects our mind. Until the day of Jesus' return, God is committed to finishing that work that he started in you. Like we use, we, we sing this song a couple, he's going to finish what you started in our life. He's going to finish what you started in our lives. If that's the words, I don't know, something like that. Um, so if you, if you ever see me sing something that's not up there, it's not always their fault back there. I know that you look back there and be like, what are you doing? It could be me. So I'm just making a confession right now. So you're going to finish what you started in my life. Um, I'm going to stand on the promise that you're on, on my side. So how does faith come? How does faith come? As by revelation, right? As I know that he will not leave my side, faith and confidence is going to be stirred within me. So the confidence of the believer is not only established by faith in what God has already done, but also what he's promised he would do in us and through us. Ultimately, true confidence reflects Jesus. Come on. True confidence reflects Jesus. And whether people might not understand it or they might be like, who's this person or whatever, or look, look at how, it doesn't matter. True confidence reflects Jesus. Now, let me say, that's why we also have a body, right? That we allow people to speak into our lives because maybe we are functioning in a little arrogance or pride. But the point is, as we, as God has revealed our confidence and our faith will increase. Well, you know, I messed up, right? I keep on stumbling. And how many of you have ever felt, I'm the furthest thing from revealing Christ? <laughs> like, it, don't look at me. Like, Paul was so confident and says, uh, look at my example. <laughs> how many of us have the confidence for that? <laughs> look at what I'm doing. So in those situations, having confidence seems unrealistic, right? Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. What is that saying? In the times where you feel broken in the times where you feel like you messed up. In the time of weakness, actually, Scripture says, come to the throne of grace with boldness and confidence. Come on. And so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So as his nature is revealed, our faith increases. So as we see God for who he is, a God of love and a God of understanding, when we fall or when we mess up, we can actually have the confidence to come before him. Remember, our confidence 
is a manifestation of our faith. So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned, to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. So love is who he is. It's his nature. And as his nature is revealed, what increases? Our faith. And as our faith increases, what increases? Our confidence. And as our confidence increases, so shall our boldness. Are you guys seeing this? Remember how I said, first, our confidence must be rooted in the, in the work of Jesus in us first. Are you guys following me? So our confidence is rooted, the foundation of it is what he has done in us, that we are a new creation. And then from that place, what does it say? Then you'll be a minister of reconciliation. So firstly, our confidence has to be who we are in him. And, and from that place, everything else flows from it. Confidence is faith's way of thinking. Confidence is faith. Faith's way of thinking. Can you see why it would be strange for a believer to say that their faith, say that they have faith, but they lack confidence? Romans 8:37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There it is again, knowing his nature, knowing his love for us. But what is it saying? All these things. What are all these things? It's tribulation, distress, persecution, famine nakedness, peril, or sword. So the context is, what can separate us from the love of God? And the conclusion is, as most of you know, is nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So why does Paul, why does Paul say that we are more than conquerors? Conqueror means to gain a decisive and surpassing victory. Have you guys ever watched a boxing match or anything like that? And uh, what is a draw? Can anybody tell me a draw decision? Meaning both of them did pretty well, but we're not going to necessarily say which one won, so they'll raise both hands. This is a draw decision. But when it says more than a conqueror, conqueror actually means to gain a decisive and surpassing victory. So what does that mean? In life, it's not going to be a draw. It's going to be a knockout. Are you guys following me? It's not just a victory of like, yeah, we're just going to skim through. It's actually a decisive and surpassing victory. Meaning you're in round one and you knock the guy out. There's no judge's decision. Are you guys following me? It's a certain and a decisive victory. So why does Paul have the confidence level of a conqueror? Because Paul had a deep revelation of the love of God. So his conclusion is, Romans 8.35, who could ever surpass us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolute, absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to, to diminish his love towards us. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. In, in verse 38, so now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. Come on. So as Christ is revealed, our confidence grows. 
As Christ is revealed, our confidence grows. And as our confidence grows, we can be that demonstrator of his glory. Confident faith is a sign of tested faith. I've killed the lion, I've killed the bear. And confidence is the way faith is expressed in our soul. Because we know that faith, let's say it again, we know that faith is a call to action. Because without it, it's dead. But confidence is the way that we perceive our, our circumstances. So let's say, look at the thing that you're dealing with right now. Are you looking at it through confidence? Are you overwhelmed? Come on. Confidence is faith's way of expressing itself in our mind. So I want to switch gears a little bit. It's still going to be on similar things, but I want to switch gears and talk about one of the biggest adversaries to living confidently. So I know that I've talked about this before, but how does faith grow? Through revelation. So as God is revealed, we go from faith to faith. So confidence. Oh, I see more of him. I gain more confidence. Are you guys seeing this? So that's how faith and confidence grows or matures. So how do you hinder revelation? I believe it's through confusion, which wages war in our mind. So how is confidence expressed? It's how we look at our situations. So how do you hinder revelation? Confusion. Have you guys ever been confused before? So confidence is the way of thinking established on faith. So if we're going to hinder faith, so if you're going to hinder faith expression in the mind, the strategy would be to bring confusion. And I've seen so much confusion in the church as a whole about what's my individual call? What's my individual purpose? What's God's specific plan? God, what are you doing? What about the timing of that plan? That's a big one, right? What about the place? My place in this world. All all you uh, Michael W. Smith fans, what's my place? What's my place in this world? What about identity? Who am I? Why am I here? (laughs) What's life about? Right? No one knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) Confused. And I will say, I've come to realize that it's impossible to have confidence if you're in a state of confusion. It's impossible to walk in confidence if you're in a state of confusion. I believe many believe, nope, I skipped something. Sorry about that. John 10.10, that's my favorite verse at least right now, for the past 10 years. The the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
And the reason I keep on bringing up this verse over and over again is because it reveals, Jesus is actually revealing, this is what the fruit of the enemy looks like. What does it look like? It looks like stealing. It looks like killing. It looks like destroying. But then Jesus said, wait a second, I've come to bring life and life more abundantly. And that word life is not just a spiritual life. It's all-encompassing. It's in your sleeping. It's in your eating. It's in your planning. It's in your playing. It's in your resting. So I have this phrase with this verse, whose name is on it? Look at your situation and say, whose name is on this? Is it stealing? Is it killing? And is it destroying? Too many times the name of Jesus gets blamed for things that has the enemy's name written all over it. So what does that have to do about confusion? I believe many believers have accepted the fact that confusion is part of their journey with the Lord. Remember when I talked... If, if you missed it, you can go back and listen to it. I think it's called Learning from Abundance. But um, I talk about how um, I, I confront that lie about that God teaches us through pain and suffering, right? So if you want to check that out, you can. Uh, it actually goes into this, this thought deeper. But I believe we look at confusion to a certain extent and say, well, this is just part of my walk with the Lord, but I would say confusion is stealing, it's killing, and it's destroying. So let me clarify this a little bit more. I'm not saying that there won't be moments where you're unsure and you need understanding. Actually, James tells us that if we lack wisdom, to ask God who gives liberally without fault fighting. And sure, there will be moments when you need to trust and obey even when you don't understand or see the full picture. So what I'm referring to is when confusion becomes a state of mind, not just a feeling of confusion. Remember when I gave that funny example about the difference between a feeling of a f fear and uh, a spirit of fear? Do you guys remember that? Ruben does. Uh, so really quickly, you go out in the woods and you're on a walk, you see a bear, right? It's natural to feel some fear there, right? Unless you don't understand what's happening, right? Uh, so a feeling of fear, so that, that's natural, right? But you come home and then you're so consumed by that feeling that you go and look at all your kids' books. Are there any bears in these books? The three little bears, or, right? What's that one where they come? Now, kids should not learn to let bears sleep in their bed. We got to get this out of here. And uh, um, you're going to create a bear coalition. So a uh, spirit of fear will attach itself to a feeling if we don't take control of it. So this is what I'm talking about. There will be times where you are confused. A feeling of confusion may come. What just happened? But if we don't deal with that by taking every thought captive, it will give way to a spirit of fear or a spirit of confusion. So what does a spirit of confusion look like? 
When confusion, a spirit of fear looks like when confusion begins to rob your vision. Reuben is Mr. Vision, right? All the time. <laughs> Rachel's like, thank you, Jesus. I love this man. <laughs> That's right. So you get into a state where you just lose vision. And that's what confusion does. It robs you of vision. It steals your joy. Have you ever been so confused that it's just not fun anymore? We lost that first love. You're just going through the motions. The thing that I was so passionate and called to, now I'm just trying to push through this thing. Because I'm not sure who I am and where I belong. Where confusion destroys your confidence and kills your desire. You're not dealing with a feeling of confusion. You're dealing with a spirit of confusion. And what is a spirit? A spirit is a coordinated strategy to steal, to kill, and destroy. A coordinated strategy to steal, to kill, and destroy. Another way that you can know if you're dealing with a spirit rather than a feeling is a spirit will always justify its right to control. It will give you every reason to justify your state of mind. I'm going to say that again. It will give you every reason to justify your state of mind. Well, this is the reason you're afraid. It's okay. You know, this is the reason why you're confused. Oh, there's a lot of reasons why you should be offended, right? It will give you reasons to justify the state of mind. A spirit of fear, a spirit will always justify your right to feel the way it wants you to feel. I'm going to say that again. A spirit will always justify your right to feel the way it wants you to feel. Which is interesting because scripture clearly reveals the just or the justified shall live by faith. Meaning, I've already been justified. I don't need to justify myself. I'll say that again. A spirit of offense will give you every reason why you have a right to be offended. But if, I've been, if I'm the just and I've been justified... There's no reason for me to justify myself. Because of this reality, I can now live from faith, live from heaven's reality. I don't need to justify the old ways of thinking. I don't need to justify thinking that is contrary to heaven's perspective. I can now live from a new reality that I'm a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I don't need to justify, I need to align. Do you see the difference? When you're a new believer, you don't need to, when you have the new creation life in you, there's no reason for you to justify. All you need to do is align. Are you guys seeing this? Faith is one of the biggest weapons we have in our disposal to resist the enemy. 
James 4, 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So faith is submitting to God's way of thinking, submitting to his nature and character. So how, is, how does faith grow? How does it mature? As God is revealed, faith or my confidence will grow. So faith is submitting to God's way of thinking, submitting to his nature and his character, submitting to his design and plan, submitting to the love that he has for us, so I don't butcher it. What, was, what were the lyrics from today? Okay. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. That's what it looks like to submit to God. As the nature and character of God is revealed, my faith will increase and mature. So when revelation is not cultivated, confusion will flourish. It's not enough to know something, but are you willing to cultivate it into producing a tangible expression? So what happens if we find ourselves in a state of confusion where our vision is being robbed from us, our our joy is being stolen. Our confidence and our desire is being destroyed. First, we need to recognize where, first we need to recognize the root of confusion or what confusion is rooted in. So what way of thinking am I giving access to the spirit of confusion? What coordinated strategy to steal, kill, and destroy am I giving a foothold to? In Psalms 71.1, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. In the King James, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. Psalms 70.1-2, through 2. Make haste, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and confounded. Confounded just means to be confused. Let them be ashamed and confused who seek my life. Let them be turned back and confused who desire my hurt. So do you see the correlation between shame and confusion in Scripture? Genesis 2.25, and they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. The same Hebrew word for ashamed used in Genesis is the same word used in Psalm 71. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. So that Hebrew word means to put to shame, to be confounded, to put into confusion. So in scripture, you can see how confusion is directly connected to shame. So I have a question. I'll have a, a moment of silence. No, not really. Could shame be the reason I'm in a state of confusion? Could shame be the reason I'm in a state of confusion. Confusion means 
to be disoriented regarding one's sense of time, place, or identity. It means a state of disorder, unable to understand or think clearly. So shame is more than just not liking yourself. It's a confusion of who you are. A lot of times we have confusion about what do you want me to do, where, when, how, all this stuff, all this confusion. But I won't have answers for those things if I don't know who I am. And I don't like who I am. And I don't value who God created me to be. Because when an opportunity comes up, I don't know what should I do, what should I do, what should I do, because I don't know if this works there. Are you guys following me? It's interesting that one of the signs of confusion in Scripture is when an army would attack itself. 1 Samuel 14, 20. Then Saul and all his men rushed out to battle and found the Philistines killing each other. There was terrible confusion everywhere. You can find other examples of this in 2 Chronicles 20. That's Jehoshaphat and Judges 7. So how is shame manifested? You attack yourself. You tear yourself down. You diminish your strengths and giftings. It's hard to step out in faith for an opportunity when we don't even accept the strengths that we have inside of us. Can you see why confusion is rooted in shame? If we're going to confront confusion, we must start with how we view and value ourselves in the light of what Christ has done. This is why our confidence or our faith must be rooted in the work of Jesus in us first and then through us. Now, I know that was a lot there. Okay. That could probably be a sermon in itself, but I just wanted to throw that out there so that you can ask yourself, is there a reason for all this confusion that I'm facing? Could it be because I don't see how God sees me? Could it be that I don't value myself the way God values me? So the first one is knowing where the root of confusion comes from, which is shame. And secondly, can I bring order to disorder? Because confusion means state of disorder. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. In the New Living Translation, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So the context here is Paul is addressing disorder within church so that he can bring order where there is chaos. Is, he is bringing structure to disorder and confusion. He is giving practical instruction so that all would experience a strengthening. So in a practical sense, are there areas in your life that need ordered? 
So if you look and say, you know what, I, I really don't feel the reason I'm dealing with all this confusion is because of shame. Maybe the next thing, are there areas in my life that need ordered? Are there things in my life that are in chaos? So the life that Christ provides is all-inclusive. It's in your eating, sleeping, working, resting, playing, planning, every aspect. So how do we live this life? We live it by faith. So how does this look practically in our daily lives? You structure or you position, you order your life in a way that connects to his reality. So as God is revealed, let's say it's his love or justice or whatever attribute of God is revealed to you, you begin to structure, you begin to order your life so that your life can, become, can come into alignment of heaven's perspective. Does this make sense? So the first one is, could it be shame? The second one is, are there areas in my life that need ordered? And thirdly, trust breaks the power of confusion. Psalm 71, 1. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never, let me never be put to confusion. How does trust break the power of confusion? Because trust is willing to step outside even when you don't understand. So you're experiencing this confusion? Okay. This is what I know God has already said. See, a lot of times we're, we're in confusion because we haven't stepped out in the thing that he's already said. So we step out in faith, in trust, right? And so trust can break the power of confusion because you're saying it doesn't matter what's going on up here, right? But I'm going to step out. Trust is the authorized detour where there is an obstruction or delay. Uh, I don't know, it was like a month ago, Loretta and Aaron and a couple other ones, they were going to a restaurant and a bridge was out. And there was, a, there was a detour. And apparently they didn't follow the signs very well because they got lost. But think of trust in this way. You're going, you know where you're going, you have vision, and then there's a, a obstruction. Trust is really saying, okay, I don't understand what's happening here, but I'm going to trust in where you're leading me now, in that detour. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. In Psalms 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. More literally, he is doing it. Meaning that he is doing things behind the scene even when you don't even see it. So two things that are required from us in this verse. First is the act of committing. Say, act of committing. Second is the attitude of trust. Isn't that interesting? We have that backwards. We want to trust before we commit. But Scripture says, commit and then trust. Come on. 
Many people never enter into trust because they're afraid to fully commit. Proverbs 16.9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Look at this. Let's go back to this one verse in Proverbs 3.5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So what is our attention on? What is our heart's attention on? The Lord, right? And then in, in Proverbs 16.9, the heart of man plans his way. But what is the attention of the heart on? The Lord. So the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So there's two parts here. The heart of man plans. Plans means to calculate, analyze, imagine, innovate, consider, be mindful of. And establish his steps means to be firm, to be stable, to make ready, to set up. You have to be willing to step out of the boat for your feet to be established. Matthew 14, 28. Then Peter called to him, so the disciples were out in the middle of a lake in the midst of a storm. Jesus comes walking by. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. The heart of man plans. The heart of man says, hmm, I'd like to be out there. I wonder if he's out there. Maybe I could be out there. I like to be with him. I feel like it's safer with him than in the boat with the disciples, actually. So the heart of man plans, right? If it's you, call me out. Matthew 14, 29. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked in the water toward Jesus. The Lord establishes his steps. Where were Peter's eyes? It was on Jesus. The heart of man plans. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I'm looking at Jesus. Can I come out there? Come out. Now the water, you can't walk on water, right? In the natural. But Peter saw something. He desired something. He steps out and actually water that doesn't, it, it's not firm, is then made firm by Jesus. Matthew 14, 30. And when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. So what happened? What was firm is now loosening. Why is that? Said, save me, he shouted. It wasn't until he took his eyes off of Jesus that the firmness or the establishment of his steps failed him. Matthew 14, 31, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. It wasn't like, let's see how many dunks can happen, right? It says he immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said, why did you doubt me? A better way to put this is, why did you take your eyes off of me? Why did you take your eyes off of me? Many people are so afraid to step out of, outside of God's plan, calling, purpose, and timing. But I believe you can if you're in Christ. That's a pretty big statement there. If the prize 
and the mark is Jesus, how can you step out outside of that plan? Think about it. Because he is the prize. He is the mark. He is the goal. Philippians 3.12. And let me say this. Let's say you step out and do something really dumb. You can fix it. You know, in, in our house, we have this thing. If you make a mess, you can clean it up. <laughs> That's true for life, isn't it, right? If you make a mess, you can clean it up. I didn't say it was fun or easy. Philippians 3.12, and generally the mess is with those around us. Philippians 3.12, not that I have already attained. Wait a second. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. Press on to what God has called. But, but if the prize is Jesus and our eyes are fixed on Jesus and he is our prize, what are we pressing towards? We're pressing towards him. So when your eyes are set, you can trust what's in your heart. Have you ever felt like, I'm not sure if I can trust what's going on in here? But if your eyes are set, you can. If your eyes are set on him, you can trust what's, in, what's inside your heart. Let's go back to it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. But in Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Do you see how the heart needs to be connected to him? And from that place of connection, I can then dream. I can then calculate. I can analyze, which, you know, some of us are dreamers. Some of us like to frolic in the field, you know, looking at the butterflies. And some of us like to pull out data sheets and say, okay, how do we get this thing working? So we can plan, but it's the Lord that causes the impossible to happen. It's, he's the one that establishes our steps. Thank you, Father. So this is what it looks like for a believer to live confidently. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father. Lord, we can trust in you. Lord, you are faithful and you are good. Thank you, Father. You're faithful and you are good. Lord, we know that as you are revealed, so shall our faith increase. So shall our confidence increase. So, Lord, I just ask you during, during this week, Lord, reveal to us a new side of who you are. Lord, if there's an area of confusion in our life, reveal a part of who you are. If we're unsure about timing or place or how or what, God, show us who you are. Show us a new side of who you are. Because, Lord, we know that when we see you, we'll be like you. Lord, as you are revealed, so shall our confidence and our faith grow. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just receive it. Let's just take a moment and just hear the Holy Spirit. 
See what he's saying to us. Lord, where I didn't have the words to put it all together, Lord, you can, you can give, you can reveal it. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lord, that our confidence is rooted in your work in us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I just saw... Uh, all these voices just trying to whisper in our ears, and I just saw the breath of God just come and just blow those things out. Thank you, Father. Lord, we hear your voice, and a voice of a stranger we will not follow. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.